Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. From the over-the-top studios at Scratch Labs in Boulder, Colorado, this is RoadBikeRider.com Radio. Going the distance with Coach John Hughes. John, always a pleasure. It's great to be here, George. We're going to talk about riding in the heat today. Yesterday it was a high of maybe 70, and I was up in the mountains and bailed because it was starting to rain. And this morning it's cloudy and drizzly, but... Yeah, I just got back from the ride. It was pretty awesome out there. <laughs> I like starting a ride with arm warmers and a vest in July. Absolutely. As opposed to like tomorrow when it might be 92. Now, this is going to be the first of a three-part discussion? I think we should because there's a lot to cover. We need to talk about heat, what causes it, riding in the heat and all of that, and then pick up next week on what to drink, what you need for electrolytes, and then finally follow up with cramps because that tends to be a particular problem when the weather's hotter. You know, John, I grew up in Texas and always wilted in track meets. Uh, I did so well early in the season, and then as it heated up and, you know, we reached April at the districts, and I always just did terrible because I couldn't handle the heat. Uh, living in Oregon, Colorado, I, I love the cool temperatures. I grew up in Washington State, and a hot day was, you know, it got up into the 70s, and it was great weather when it only drizzled. And then I moved to California and discovered it did not rain all day every day. But I still lived in the Bay Area where we had fog, and it was pretty cool. So uh, I rode across the country my first pack tour back in 88, and I was astounded at how hot it gets in the desert. I still remember riding into El Centro, and we were just melting. And Pete Pensayers and several of us leaned our bikes up and took our helmets off and, with everything else, jumped into the pool. So that was kind of my first intro in riding in hot weather. And I figured Pete, Lon, Susan, they knew what to do, so I would just imitate. Now, you've had some pretty good results in hot weather races. Won the 508 twice, Furnace Creek 508 twice. uh, Actually won the very first one. And I think I did it in part because of smarter pacing. Back Back then, we didn't, at least I didn't know a lot about hydration and so forth and so on. So I tried to drink lots of water. We can talk more about that later, about why that's not necessarily so good. Lee Mitchell dumped lots of ice water on my head, which helped. I remember the first time I did the 508, there was a section on top of Sheep Hole. It wasn't paved yet, so you got to hop in the van and, and ride across. And they had a big dishpan full of ice water for me to soak my feet in. So over the years, I've learned, especially by coaching people. I mean, you've had some experiences too, George. 
I have had some horrible experiences. In the, <laughs> I remember a bike across Missouri in 1997. I won that, but uh, I was flat on my back, probably 15 miles from the finish, not knowing if I'd be able to continue. I was uh, having chills and, you know, it was 100 plus degrees with matching humidity. And I just was in big, big trouble. And we cooled me down by shoving ice in my armpits and in my crotch. The crotch is very effective. When when I was yeah, racing, oh, the, when was I was effective. racing the the five hundred eight the second time, I you know, climbing up sheep hole, I was sure I was at the top. I could see the top, and then I rode over it and realized it was a false summit. And it was one hundred eight degrees out, and I I said, Lee, I want ice in my crotch. And he said, Are you sure? And I said, Yeah. There's only an hour hour and a half to go. My shorts will get wet, but do I care? And it's really effective. Uh, super. I mean, my body temperature came down quickly. I, is that dangerous, though? No, it's not really dangerous. Okay. I, I mean, the, what what happens is you want to put the ice where you've got lots of blood flow. So it's, okay. so the blood is getting maximally cold and recirculating to your core. So, so not on the extremities, not on your feet, not actually well, the the soles of your feet are pretty good. Okay, armpits are good. Head is good. Crotch is good. Brief war story. Um, one of my first ones was riding the the death ride. My good buddy Roger Hardy suffered badly in the heat, so we got to the fourth pass and we stopped at a store. He bought a ten pound bag of ice and put it in his pannier. And every mile he'd stop and wrap some more in his towel and put it under his helmet and keep going. He went through ten pounds of ice to the top and back, but it worked. Now racing Rob, you know, two weeks ago, uh, we had a an interesting strategy of just let's do a parade start for the first five hundred miles. And it actually worked really well. But uh, even that first night, I was still kind of caught up in the race and what all was going on and wasn't drinking as much as I should have and uh, was a little woozy getting off the bike. And I took a 40-minute break and then uh, got back on. And it took a while. I knew I'd come out of it, but I, I did not drink a ton. I would drink a half bottle of Insure. Um, every 30 minutes or so instead of a full bottle. And so it wasn't, it was more just sipping water more constantly than chugging a full bottle. And you may or may not have been having enough. Were you thirsty or were you not thirsty? No, that kept me very sated. Okay. I'd have a Sprite, but I wouldn't drink the whole can. And that was probably enough. And then I would come back in after my next pull and I would finish it. Yeah. I mean, what you want to do. What everybody should do is is drink enough to satisfy your thirst, but not worry about more than that. Well, I never had any uh, stomach issues and never felt sick, never thought I was going to throw up. And normally when I get super dehydrated or overheated, that's an issue. Well, super dehydrated and overheated, seriously overheated, are, are the key phrases. I mean, here's some examples. You remember uh, Diana Nyad? She did the early oh, yeah. RAM broadcasts, and mm-hmm. she actually swam from... Florida to Cuba. She tried several times and she was successful. And in her successful one, she was throwing up all the time. Couldn't keep anything down. And clearly when you vomit, you're losing fluid. Mm-hmm. And she got seriously dehydrated. And she finished. Now, of course, marathoners didn't start running until we fully understood hydration and started drinking plenty, you know, in about the 1990s. I mean, they never ran marathons before that, did they? Oh, I, I don't think so. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> People have been running marathons for decades before people understood hydration. Tour de France is about to start. Do you think those guys can possibly drink enough fluid during a six-hour stage to stay hydrated? Absolutely not. 
And that's why they just sort of limp across the finish line, right? Of course. <laughs> they kick up a pretty powerful sprint. But my point is that mild to moderate dehydration isn't going to affect performance much. So don't worry about it. Severe dehydration is a problem. And what is more of a problem is you get real concerned. You keep drinking water and drinking water and drinking water. And this happens in marathons, particularly marathons that where somebody's doesn't happen to the people who can finish in three hours. It happens to people that take six hours and are drinking a lot. And what it does is it dilutes your blood sodium, and it can dilute it to a point that's dangerous and cause your, your brain to swell. And the problem with your brain swelling is you've got a skull, which doesn't swell. So you get pressure building up, and that can, in fact, kill you. It's called hyponatremia, very low blood sodium. Now, I have a real aversion to drinking water because I don't drink very much when I'm training, um, I hate to stop and pee. Um, and I notice I get edema after a while. I got edema when I was announcing the finish of Ram, not during the race. Um, and then I, I do tend to bloat uh, during a race. So I kind of want to just not eat or drink. But that doesn't really seem to have anything to do with me bloating. <laughs> it, it, it works. First of all, bloating is one of the big signs that you're retaining fluid, obviously. And retaining fluid is what causes your brain to swell. So that is not good. And if you start retaining fluid, you're doing the right thing, actually, George, by not drinking. You want to not drink until your body regains homeostasis and you start urinating out the excess fluid. And for a rider, the easiest way to tell, actually, is look at your sock lines. And are you bloating right above your sock lines? Mm -hmm. Or look at your wrist lines. Are you bloating above your gloves? And... I had a client that did race across the West, and my instructions were to his crew were weigh him every four hours. And if he's lost more than 3% of his body weight, tell him he's got to slow down and drink a little more. And if he's gained more than 3% of body weight, he's clearly retaining fluid, so stop drinking, which seems kind of counterintuitive out in the desert when it's 110. But you're trying to get your body kind of in balance. Um, I mean, a good rule of thumb is you should need to urinate every few hours with a reasonably good clear stream. So if you don't have to pee at all in a century, you're not drinking enough. Now, if on the other hand, when the edema starts to go away, oh my gosh, you're just peeing nonstop. <laughs> and, and that's what you want. And, and one of the problems, I mean, you're only in your early 50s. Once you get into your 60s, peeing frequently is more of a sign of old age necessarily than proper hydration. Oh, okay. Good point. <laughs> now, now, back to Raw, um, and one of the things you and I were chatting earlier is about people who go down to the desert for a week before to acclimate. Right. They head out to Borrego Springs or whatever and stay out there and ride for a week, two weeks. Can you really acclimate to heat that quickly? It's going to take, well, you, you start acclimating, sure, but it really takes more like three weeks to acclimate. That long. Yeah. And a bit of physiology Suppose you consume 1,000 calories. 200 to 400 of those will produce forward motion. Your body isn't very efficient. And the other 600 to 800 calories are going to generate heat, which you then need to disperse by your blood getting hotter in your core, going to your skin, you sweat, the blood circulates back. It's like your radiator in your car engine. And as far as acclimating... Most of the heat is coming from what you produce. 
and you and I have chatted about this in prior years, and I've said, you know, the way to acclimate here in Boulder, George, is not to try to find a pretty warm day and go out in your warmers. The way to acclimate is get on your trainer and pound yourself for an hour. Because what you're trying to do is raise your core temperature and get your body used to having more blood volume, higher blood flow, anything to do to cool the core. And that's more effective than sitting around in the sauna for 18 hours a day. So higher blood flow, you're not saying higher count. So, I mean, living at altitude isn't going to help me deal with the heat any better, or is it? No, it's not going to help at all. I mean, what, what, what you, your body will, as you, as you acclimate, you will actually have higher blood volume, more radiator fluid. So when it circulates through your core, it will then go to the skin better. You, you will sweat more profusely. And all of these are a function of generating a lot of internal heat, which is why going pretty hard in the trainer for an hour, or out on the road, I don't care, is about the most effective way to acclimate. Now, do some of us have different types of engines? I mean, I generally run pretty hot, like at home. I, I don't like running around wearing a ton of clothes or at bedtime. I you know, don't uh, have a lot of sheets on. Sure, very different engines. And my wife, Carol, has, she runs a much hotter engine than I do. She says, do you mind if I open some windows for dinner? I'm really hot. And I'll say, no, not, not a problem. Let me get a sweatshirt. Mm-hmm. And part of it is simply gender. Women tend to dissipate heat faster, smaller body. And so whatever heat they're generating, they feel more. Guys are bigger, tend to retain heat more, not feel it quite as much. Um, part of it's body size. Bigger people have a harder problem acclimating to the heat. Part of the problem is lean versus heavy. Uh, the more subcutaneous fat you have, the harder it's going to be for your blood to flow through and cool you off. Aren't you sort of insulated there, too? I mean, I'm not trying to make a joke. That's... You, you are, and that's exactly the problem, George, which is you're generating heat internally, and you're insulated so it can't get out. It's not the problem of hot air and you're insulated against that or solar gain and you're insulated against the sun because those, I mean, those do contribute, hot environment, solar gain, but they're pretty minor compared to internally generated heat. Solar gain, uh, that makes me think of wearing black out in the desert. I see the black kits and I certainly have some and love it, but uh, it is pretty warm. I, I commented on, on my uh, rider that, that did raw and almost finished. He had some altitude, serious altitude problems, health-threatening, life-threatening altitude problems, but he'd sent me a nice photo, and he wasn't wearing all black. He had on a dark red jersey, but everything else was black. I mean, you, you will see experienced people wearing light colors. Some people wear white women's stockings, hose, white arm warmers, so forth and so on, to avoid solar gain. And does that, even, I've always looked at that and thought, hmm, I wonder how that'll work, but I've never wanted to put long uh, clothing over my legs or arms when I'm out in 100-plus degree weather. I prefer not to also. I've been experimenting with um, various uh, commercial brands of things you can wear over your arms and legs to prevent sunburn, right? Mm-hmm. And for me, I tend to gain heat more retain heat more than if I didn't have them on and I don't like the way sunscreen feels, but I use sunscreen. 
And same, I get really uncomfortable with a lot of sunscreen on, and I wonder, is this making me even hotter because I'm not sweating as efficiently or anything? It'll, it will affect you a little, but the chance that, I mean, the skin cancer can be a bit of a problem. Yeah, that's true. I've, I've had to have a couple of things removed in the last six months, and, and one of the reasons I like sunscreen is it's very easy for a lab to test. Is it SPF 15 or 30 or whatever? Clothing, there's not any good way to test how much protection it offers in and whatever protection there is uh, washes out fades over time there are only a couple of companies and i can't remember the names off the top of my head that make uh, protective solar clothing that actually the uh, american dermatologist society says is okay and none of them are the big cycling clothing companies really so if you want to do a little research go go look up uh, one of them's an australian company and from looking at what they make, it's great if you want to hike. It's great if you want to swim, but they don't make anything particularly good for riding your bike. Another reason sunscreen's good, or better than protective clothing. So what are some things we can do to prevent problems coming up? Because I know I can feel hot, but when I when real problems hit me, they hit fast, and I don't have a whole lot of warning that it's coming on. Yeah, I mean, you and I have talked about some of this. One of the things that you've done pretty successfully, if you've gone out and done your hard training before dawn or right after dawn. So one thing is pick the time you ride. Early morning, late evening is better. Another one had a client training for raw who lived in uh, Nebraska, hot in the summer. Mm-hmm. And he split his workouts. He'd go out and ride. He'd come in home, cool off a little. He'd go out and ride again so forth and and he did that during the race he divided into legs and he'd get in his van and cool off now you said late evening is better than early morning i love right many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out my solution is plush care plush care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey they can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. No. Before dawn. <laughs> Why is that? L- late evening and early morning are better than. Midday. Uh, okay, okay, gotcha. Only mad dogs and Englishmen go out in the noonday sun. Okay, right. Another part of it that I've alluded to is pacing. Midday, mm-hmm. outdoors, good time to work on your endurance, riding long, slow distance. But first thing in the morning, last thing before, before sunset, or even better, indoors on the trainer, is a good time to do intensity because you can control the environment. Now, you and I both train by perceived exertion. And that's because we're really smart about how to ride in the heat. If you train by heart rate, heat's going to spike your heart rate, right? Mm-hmm. And you'll think, ah, I'm going too hard. And you'll back off. Train by power, 
is more accurate, but part of what happens as it gets hot, your physiology changes. And so more of your capacity is going to cooling, and you need to recognize that. You just can't go quite as hard. It also helps to start fully hydrated, for sure. And that's where I'm horrible, because I hate to have a lot to drink before I get on the bike, because I don't want to stop and pee. Well, why don't you want to stop and pee? Because I am so ingrained with don't stop. (laughs) Well, if it doesn't gross you and our listeners out, I solved that problem back in the 70s. There was this great ride called the California Land Rush that started in San Francisco and you rode 200 miles and spent the night, I think it was San Luis Obispo, and 200 miles to L.A. And after about an hour and a half, I'd have to pee and everybody would be going hard and i think, oh, I don't want to lose the bunch. Well, I learned to do what the pros do, which is pee off the bike. Even wearing bibs? You know, I don't like bibs, per se, but it's possible. Rather than pulling the top down, you pull the leg up. Mm, okay, I uh, might it, give that one a try. If, if, if somebody <laughs> is really concerned about time off the bike and mail, that's a way to learn how to do it. And the time to practice is not in the Peloton. Yeah. <laughs> I imagine you drop to the back. You, you, you do drop to the back. helps if there's a bit of a downhill so you can coast mm-hmm. and practice it by yourself when it doesn't matter until you get the hang of it, so to speak. Yeah, I kind of like that. Yeah. <laughs> so start out fully hydrated, and okay. then during the ride, drink enough so that you're not thirsty. Some people calculate sweat rate and... That's a useful data point, but it's not the be-all and end-all. Now, that would be going to a lab, I'm assuming, correct? Sweat rate? No, I mean, you can actually calculate it at home. And I you think can? Yeah, we, we ought to go into detail about that next week when we're talking about hydration. Um, let's get back to training. What's too hot? I mean, what, what's too hot for you, George? Gosh, you know, I mean, this year... Riding was wonderful. I I don't think I went out on a day that was above eighty eighty five. Yeah, I'm I'm the same. And, and that's I was comfortable, but that's starting to push my comfort level to get up around ninety. Right, and and for some people who live in a hotter environment, uh, you know, we this broadcast is in conjunction with Road Bike Rider. John Marsh is down in Atlanta, and so he's more used to riding in the heat and humidity, but a lot of it's psychological. You and I living here, I at least fear, oh, my God, it's going to be 98 out. That's going to be terrible riding. And the result of the fear is I tense up. My blood vessels contract. It's like clamping down on your radiator hose a little. Your car engine doesn't cool as well. So part of it is simply fear. It's psychosomatic. And... What it amounts to is we each have different preferences and tolerances for what's okay. Now, lab tests have shown that people will produce their best time trial, best 20 to 40K time trial, when the temperature is right around 60 Fahrenheit. And so performance does fall off. I mean, there's scientific evidence as well as uh, perceived exertion about what's too hot to ride. And you start getting up 70, 80, 90, you can't go as hard, you can't go as fast. And if you're in a race, that's okay because everybody's suffering the same thing. Mm-hmm. But if you're thinking about your own training, you want to stay down with 
to, to the extent you can in the lower temperatures. You'll train better in a moderately cool or temperate environment. Yeah, I'm thinking of your psychosomatic, which you said just a little earlier, and uh, you know, after the deer accident in uh, November of 2014, I had a traumatic brain injury. I still have brain therapy, and uh, we've been working on a lot of things to to help me not be so afraid when I see movement on my left. <laughs> uh, and I re- I asked the therapist, hey, you know, can you help me out with my uh, really sense of of just not panic but fear when the sun's coming up during an ultra and we worked on that and I actually rode really well during the day during this last raw and I've never felt like that I was really relaxed when we were out in the heat so how did you work on it mentally I was just really worked on relaxation it's called the EMDR therapy mm-hmm. eye movement mm-hmm. and uh, it, it was pretty incredible yeah, I mean, that, that's clearly part of it. There, there are a lot of different ways you can work on relaxation. Um, I've been doing it for 20-plus years. I started t- studying Tai Chi decades ago. And for people that are interested, if you go to my website, www.coach-hughes.com, and go to the resources section, there's a whole section there on mental training. And it talks about learning how to breathe and relax, learning progressive relaxation, so that when you're faced with anything that's worrisome, you can relax. I was talking with our good friend Robin Saltonstall last night about how I have trouble going downhill on snow. Now, you don't because you're a downhill skier. She says, what's the problem? I says, I get tense and nervous. And she says, well, what can you do about that? And I says, well, I've gotten to the point where if I can get to the top of a hill, take some deep breaths and relax, kind of figure out what the line is, then I'm calm and ready to go down it. And the problem that happens is when some hotshot like you comes blasting by saying, on your left, and I get immediately tense. But by working on relaxation techniques, you can, to a certain extent, overcome fear. And the reason I say to a certain extent is a little fear is healthy. Don't go out there assuming, ah, heat's no problem at all. I can be just fine <laughs> because you can get in serious trouble. I mean, I mean the, where it starts with is heat exhaustion which is a form of exhaustion. And you'll start uh, sweating really heavily. You said that during Race Across the West, at one point you were dizzy, lightheaded. I just pulled off or finished a pole and was like, whoa, I feel really lightheaded. Yeah, that's part of it. Did you feel more tired than usual? Mm -hmm. That's part of it. Uh, You probably didn't take your pulse, but it would have been weak, fairly rapid. Uh, Were you more dizzy when you stood up? Oh, yeah. I That's part of it. and laid down. For sure, yeah. Upset stomach, nausea, headache? Yes, that was there, which is why I went to the, the small intake of fluid and it went away. Yeah, th- those are symptoms. For some people, you get muscle cramps. So all of those, heavy sweating, lightheadedness in various ways, you're not getting enough blood to the head, uh, weak pulse, cramps, nausea, headache, all of that's heat exhaustion. Heat exhaustion is like any other kind of exhaustion. It doesn't feel good, but it's not life-threatening. So you overcome it the way you did. You got in a cooler van, you drank, you lay down, you recovered. And if somebody's out on a training ride and that happens, thank God for McDonald's yeah, and so similar just places. pull into an ice house or a convenience store or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I rode Independence Pass on Monday, and it was great, great conditions. And I hopped in the car to drive from Aspen home, and it kept getting hotter and hotter and hotter. And I spied a McD. I went, oh, okay. 
one large ice cream cone coming up. And I didn't get back in the car to drive. I sat in there and ate my ice cream cone. And I cooled down a lot. So spot opportunities like that. And I made myself an iced coffee. Now, suppose I'd had a full bottle of ice water. What should I have done with it on the bike? I assume you would do two things. Probably drink some of it and dump the rest on the back of your head or into your helmet. You are partially correct. (laughs) You want to guess which half is correct? Uh, I think dumping the water on your head. Wrong. And, And the reason is your heat is generated, most of your heat is generated internally, right? And you're trying to cool your core, which means you need the fluid in so you can sweat it out. Your body, your skin, your head, they all feel hot. And so Mm -hmm. dumping water on them will make you feel better, but it will not, in fact, help reduce your core heat. Now, if you've got plenty of water, you got a crew, do both. Sure, that's great. Not a problem. But if you're out there on a long, hot day and all you got left is one bottle of even lukewarm water, don't dump it. Drink it. Yeah, that's funny. I was just thinking the new kind of... Uh, the hot thing to do during RAM or ultras right now is uh, for guys to wear a sports bra and stuff that with ice. Helps on top of everything else. Mm-hmm. Ice vests, sure. I mean, there are lots of ways to to continue to cool down, but those are supplemental to fluids. You still They're need not, to get it inside. You, you still need to get it inside and sweat it out. Exactly. So what's the next phase after heat exhaustion? I assume... There, you're starting to get pretty dangerous. It's called heat stroke. And yeah, that's dangerous. The immediate response to heat stroke is 911. That bad. It's life-threatening. You'll have trouble walking. You'll be confused. You can't think clearly. Part of your body may actually be numb all of a sudden, or paralysis, just like in a real, you know, a regular stroke. Uh, You might have double vision, blurred vision, can't see out of one eye. Sudden severe headache. And for heat exhaustion, the key is mental confusion. Your brain isn't working correctly. So if you're having trouble walking, you're having trouble talking, you're slurring your words, you're confused, you can't tell what's going on, all of those are symptoms that you're in trouble. And if you're out in the middle of a race, Cool down as hard as you can. Did, did you ever meet Ben Jones from Lone Pine? No. He, uh, Ben's got to be in his 70s now. And he ran the Badwater 500, or the Badwater to Mount Whitney several times, expert in heat acclimatization. Now, Ben is a doctor, and he is the coroner for Inyo County. And one time when he was uh, racing, he brought along a coffin full of ice. And when he overheated, he got in the coffin. So when you're really overheating, that's a way to do it. But if you figure out you've got heat exhaustion, the first stage, and you deal with it, you won't get into heat stroke. How do you progress between the two? I mean, if you're, I would think most people would stop at the heat exhaustion phase. Why stop? You're leading. You want to win. You're tough. You're good. I'm looking at those, some of those other guys are going on. I can go on. I had another client who uh, had a problem the first time he did RAM. The second time he went across the desert, California, he was in next to last place. All the way across. He finished fourth. 
because he paid attention to his body. And if he'd pushed himself hard, he would have gotten into heat exhaustion, probably dropped out, or he might have pushed himself into heat stroke and ended up in the hospital. Yeah, I remember Wolfgang, Wolfgang Fashing. He always was very good about going through the desert. He would be way at the back and uh, definitely make up time <laughs> in a very big way <laughs> as the race progressed. <laughs> Lots of time to the point where he was first to the finish line. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, let, let's... Very few of our listeners, I suspect, are racing ultra events like Raw, Ram, and so on. They're more likely out on training rides or doing organized events where they want to do well, centuries, brevets, etc. And suppose somebody gets really hot out on one of those. What should they do? First thing is stop because it's internally generated heat. Second thing I've talked about is find someplace cool. It can be a mini mart. Uh, I've talked about drinking rather than pouring it over your head. So what do you drink? Well, you rush into McDonald's and you get an ice-cold Pepsi or Diet Coke or lemonade. You'd be better off actually getting it without ice. Really? Lukewarm, you will absorb faster than ice-cold. Ice-cold tastes good, but lukewarm will help. Now, a question for you there. I would think a Pepsi... That heat exhaustion where your heart rate is already accelerated would probably be not the best thing for you because caffeine would just make it do that much more, correct? You're such a wise man, George. You'd be better off with the lemonade, and thank you for helping to point that out. And then to the extent you can, you may not want to stuff ice all those places we talked about in McDonald's, but if you can find a way to cool large areas, one of the things that I've done is gone into the restroom and taken a bandana or something and soaked it in cold water and rub it up and down my arms and rub it up and down my legs. And what I did on Monday driving home is I got it full of cold water right my head, full of cold water, hung it around my neck. And it kind of dripped a little for a while. And I actually had a big thermos that I'd filled with cold water and kept doing that. So what you're trying to do is cool the large areas in lieu of stuffing ice, in particular small areas. So all of the things. Slow down. If possible, stop and get someplace cool. Drink cool, not cold fluids. And wait until you're feeling pretty normal before you head out in the heat again. Now, do you have some articles? Uh, again, this is a three-part discussion on heat, so we've got a couple more episodes coming up. What are we going to be talking about? Well, next time we're going to talk about hydration electrolytes and then talk about cramps. And sure enough, right here on the Road Bike Rider website, there are three articles that I've written. One is a two, two or a two-part article. One is on managing how to ride in the heat. And the other is quite specifically on what to drink and electrolytes. And the idea is develop your own hydration electrolyte plan. Not follow somebody else's, but figure out for your body type. What do you need? Some people sweat more fluid than other people. Some people sweat is saltier than other fluids. So we'll talk more about that next time. And as I say, the articles are on the Road Bike Rider website. Uh, they're also on mine, coach Hughes, coach-hughes.com on the homepage. All right. John Hughes, thanks very much. And I look forward to our next two episodes. I do too. And as long as it's almost foggy out there, I'm going to go riding and not practice riding in the heat. From the over-the-top studios at Scratch Labs in Boulder, Colorado, RoadBikeRider.com Radio, I'm George Thomas. 
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.